please excuse any technical difficulties. Peg's mom wandered into the nudie bar. Live from Chicago, it's Jerry Springer, the masculine family. <laughs> The nice broadcast of the masculine feminist has been commandeered by the secret society No Man, National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man presents live from the nudie bar. The Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Nudie Bar, the transcontinental nudie bar. Uh, you're listening to Matt here. Um, we're back in the Married Children Podcast, Season 8, Episode 9, No Ma'am. Originally aired on the 14th of November, 1993. Written by Larry Jacobson and directed by Tony Singletary. Well, as I mentioned, my name's Matt, and uh, dearie me, uh, I just heard that my men's bowling league that recently reopened bowling alley has been cancelled. And this is Annabelle, and tonight I would like to dedicate this podcast to my ovaries. Quite I'm Toilet. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the, I promise, that's the only Australian joke I will do for this entire recording. I promise, I promise, I promise. Intentionally. My name is Tyler, and I propose a lactation lounge. <laughs> Alright, so, so according to our good friends at IMDb, here's what this episode is about. When Al and his friends get fed up with the women taking over their jiggly room, spelt with a G, not a J, and their bowling night, thanks to both Jerry Springer and Marcy Darcy, they form a secret organization called No Ma'am, the National Organization for Men Against Amazonian Masterhood, not in the summary, and hold Springer hostage in his own show in an audience filled with men donning the No Ma'am shirts. They intend to perform television's first sexorcism, which includes them forcing him watching hours of pro wrestling. They'll also force him to wear a stinky yellow undershirt and a pair of boxes with the words, it's all me, until the women who took over their jiggly room, again, badly misspelt, and their bowling night comply to their demands, written by Anonymous. Al Bundy hosts the first talk show for men. You guys want a ladies' night? Try having it in the kitchen cooking for a man. An all-new Married with Children, part of a full hour Sunday. So... We go to the Bundy's living room where Kelly and Bud are watching TV, watching Christian Slater, who was born 18th of August 1969 and gained wider recognition for his breakthrough role as Jason J.D. Dean in the satire Heathers in 1988. Then cast in 1991 in the big budget production of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is a mega hit in 1991. And he became a massive A-list star in the 1990s. And 1993, when this episode aired, he, ex- he tried to expand the film genre, 
playing opposite Marisa Tomi in Untamed Heart and playing Clarence Worley in True Romance, written by Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, which received many rave reviews. So he was very much a um, big name around here, big enough to interrupt the then president's um, press conference. Move over, kids. It's time for our favorite talk show. But, Mom, we were watching the president's press conference. <laughs> hmm. That jogging's been doing him some good. Yeah, that then president was Bill Clinton, who started um started jogging to deal with weight issues. This is just a year after you've been elected president. I thought that was a wink, wink to Kelly when she said that because like I thought it was like, oh, is she, are they still talk. I thought she looked up and saw Christian Slater. It's like, oh, that's not the president, but just as like, mmm, that jogging's doing him some good, and I was like. Oh, wait, is Christian Slater really showing his butt in this show? Like, because <laughs> we don't see the TV. It's, um, okay, that's Peggy turns the channel to watch. Um, well, the Springer Show, not the Springer Show that we all know and love in our world. Love. Oh, a better one. <laughs> better one, indeed. So, going away from the McDonald's recess president, um, Peggy sits down, gets the remote, flips the channel to. From Chicago, it's Jerry Springer, the masculine feminist. Good evening, women. I'm Jerry Springer, and I am proud to be living in your world. I'm sure most of you know who Jerry Springer is, but for those who don't, Jerry Springer is a television producer, former lawyer, politician, Democratic mayor of Cincinnati, news presenter, actor, producer and musician. He hosted the Jerry Springer show, a tabloid talk show, between September the 30th, 1991 and the 26th of July, 2018. And he debuted a podcast of his own in 2015. He currently hosts a courtroom show called Judge Jerry. Hmm, trying to catch on Judge Judy. Now, so Anna, Chris, did you ever watch the Jerry Springer show back in the day? Oh, Chris, oh sorry, Tyler even. <laughs> Been a long day. Oh, it's fine. I love Chris. I'm totally okay with uh, being mistaken for Chris. <laughs> I watched a bit of it, and it wasn't really my – it wasn't appointment viewing for me. But, yeah, I have seen it, and I'm very familiar with it, of course, because it's endlessly parodied on television in shows like this. But, yeah, and Jerry Springer, I believe, was born in England, Matt. What? Where about in England? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, but he was on an episode of QI, and he – because he was born in England and he did a Who Do You Think You Are, a British one. So um, I thought that might interest you. Wow. Yeah, so I just looked it up now. He's Flygate, which was then in Middlesex in 1944, but um, is now part of Greater London. I mean, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, I think I knew years ago, but I said that in my mind. Um, on a relation note, a lot of people who meet me for the first time think I was born in England myself. Hmm. Well, I thought you were, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Matt, with your accent, I could probably believe people would say England, but Jerry Springer? He must have been born in England and then shipped over as a little baby and then went back and started calling himself a Brit because I watched hours and hours and hours and hours of the Jerry Springer show. It was a great um, detour. Because my mom hated it, but she would watch the Maury show. You guys familiar with that? Yes. I'll watch that. Uh, TV's Maury. Uh, like, really advertised as the more serious Springer show. Uh, although he did a lot of the same stuff, he just had like a lot of 
he tried to rope it all together with a moral aspect and like this is how we're trying to fix these problems where Jerry's show was way more about exploiting the problems but uh yeah like I watched a ton of Jerry Springer it was like it was on so early in the morning I could just watch it before school yeah like I never guessed he was <laughs> he was English he was born during the war, so he. I think he did get out quite young. Yeah, he, he's, he immigrated to the States with his folks. No, he's a GI bastard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, his friends are Jewish. It was true. He was born and bred here in Australia, despite what most people who've met me in my 20s have thought, including Anna, most of my friends who have known him since I was 20s. <laughs> no, I don't have a British passport, but podcast viewers, vote in the poll. Do I sound like a Aussie or a Brit? <laughs> When I used to teach ballet when I was younger, um, some of the kids thought I was Scottish once. I thought, where did that come from? But maybe because I don't talk like a full-on Aussie. Sorry, Tyler. Hi, mate. I have never once been confused for anything else but an American, so I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't uh, relate to this, this conversation, apparently. There's never been any uh, doubt in anybody's mind where I'm from. <laughs> I doubt from my end. We got Jerry Springer on the TV as the masculine feminist. Now, before we get started, I want to take a moment to apologize on behalf of all men for the disgusting way Bert has mistreated Lonnie. <laughs> Good move, Bert. And uh, cop and a half. Good movie too. Bert, being of course Bert Reynolds, married to actress Lonnie Anderson between '88 and '94. By this point, he must have been separated um, after he fell in love with a cocktail waitress and he traded lawsuits, which were settled out of court. His marriage ended in 94. Springer also mentions Cop and a Half, which came out earlier in 1993, an American family buddy cop comedy film directed by Henry the Fonz Winkler. Reynolds takes on an eight-year-old child as part of the solve a murder investigation. Nick Mac made $40 million and scored number one. I watched it years ago when I was a kid. I thought it was okay. Have you two seen the film? I have when it came out, yeah, but I've forgotten it was directed by the Winky guy who played the farms. I didn't even know Henry Winkler was at the time. I was only 12, though. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Henry Winkler is one of the most successful people in Hollywood. A secret success. Like, uh, given such a bit part in Happy Days. And I say bit part because it was originally supposed to be like just a side character that would pop in and out, but viewers loved him so much that the producers were like, whenever the Fonz is not on the screen, people should be asking, where's the Fonz? And he starts becoming huge. He started uh, making friends with people in the business and learning how to work it and tried his act of the screenwriting, producing, and eventually directing. Invested a lot with uh, certain movie studios, invested in different movies, and now owns a big like part of I'm not sure if he still owns it, but I know he did. He owned, like, a good chunk of land in Montana, like, and did, like, ranching and stuff. Uh, he's a very conservative guy, and, like, I, I mean, wildlife conservative. Like, he is really big on pre uh, preserving natural resources and everything. He's a very fascinating individual, all coming from a A. Uh, so, yeah. And he seems like one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, too, and he's great on Barry. Oh, yeah. Anytime I've ever met anybody who's, like, interviewed the guy, he's 
really, supposed to be like insanely nice. Yeah. But yeah, Jerry Springer though, like it I was very surprised when I saw this episode because like like I said I've, I I've watched all these episodes for the first time like a few years ago. And when this episode popped up for the first time, I had already known from my friends telling me that this was a, a pinnacle episode of No Man. And I was dumbfounded when Jerry Springer popped up and started becoming this. Oh, like even now, even this morning, rewatching the episode, when he starts talking like, let me tell you about these horrible men out there. And I'm just. Ugh, it's so grating because I know guys like this, especially back in high school during the early aughts for me. Uh, they would just be like, men, right? They suck. They don't understand women. Not like me, right? Let me just scoot on closer to you, girl. All right. Like, it just solely sounds like somebody who's trying to, you know, get in good with, with, with women. I totally thought that's where this episode was going to go, but it never does. I mean, when are men going to realize that women are this world's most precious natural resource? Except, of course, for our sponsor. I can't believe it's a tampon. Hang on. That reminds me of, I can't believe it's not butter. And no, you wouldn't want to wish it was always that time of the month. No. Most precious natural resource. It's a generous sales pitch. <laughs> I do like the look on his face when he holds up that product, though. He's, like, completely nonchalant almost, but... Hey, su- such a ham. He is. <laughs> or Kelly and Bud. Oh, yeah. Like, I, Kelly's expressions, she makes such a good, like, bitchy girl kind of turned-up nose face. Um, I've, I've started noticing this in a lot of female actors that I love. Um, have either you two girls, two girl, have any of you two guys seen um, the uh, movie Happy Death Day? No. No. You know of it. Mm, doesn't ring a bell. Bell no, sorry. Okay, well, at some point, you guys need to Google search Happy Death Day and just type actress afterwards. She, who plays in that movie has such a good like turned up face like if she's seeing like a boy she likes with a girl that she hates in the background you just see her slurping on a slurpee given like look looks like there's lemon juice in her slurpee she's just making this like face i don't know i find it adorable and uh kelly can pull it off so well like ugh, kind of (laughs) face I'll definitely have to look that film up, Tyler, and watch it sometime. Oh, yeah, I just watched them recently, and my reviews are going to be popping out. Like the, the first one and the sequel are just such gems. They're a lot of fun. Make a brill. Jerry's not just a talker, he's a doer. Last week he found out there was no bowling alley in this part of town with a ladies-only night, so Jerry did something about it. We had a bloat-in. A hundred of us waited till we were really grumpy. Then we stormed the bowling alley and chained ourselves to the ball returns. (laughs) Which, in hindsight, turned out to be an error. (laughs) At least those little blower things were kind of enjoyable. Jim's Bowlerama, as we know, was featured in Season 4, Episode 19, Peggy Turns 300, where, of course, Peggy deprived Al of his glory in the bowling alley. So this is the second time poor Al um, walks in the house 
throws his bowling shoes across the living room, throws his bowling ball bag, and is dirty and angry. Oh, and I think we know why, don't we? <laughs> hey, honey, I'm home! Why am I early on what used to be my bowling night? Good question. Thank you for asking. Well, as I entered the bowling alley, ready for an exciting night of bonding brewskis and barfing, what did I see? <laughs> Women bowling overhand. <laughs> so naturally, I went up to one of these donut depositories and said in my nicest voice, wedge it out the door, beefalo. It's my night to bowl. <laughs> Instead of coming back at me verbally like I did to them, they took their doughy fist and they pounded on me until a mutual agreement was reached that I leave. <laughs> anyway, when I regained consciousness in a burning trash can, I realized A, Thursday nights is now ladies' night, and B, you don't want to know how a bum puts out a trash can fire. <laughs> yes, ours lost his men's bowling night to, um, to the ladies. Thursday night is now women's night at Jim's Bowlerama. And Al, oh, when he sees that Springer show, he's going to make a call. Just don't embarrass us, honey. Is the caller there? Al Bundy here. Too late. Now listen here, Jerry. Bowling is a man's sport. If God had wanted women to bowl, he would have put their breasts on their backs so we would have something to watch while waiting our turn. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't even wrap my eyes around this. I'm not my, I can't wrap my mind around this concept of a guy like the size of Ed O'Neill walking into an establishment on, quote, ladies' night, end quote, and going up to a group of them and just say, get out. Like, it, it's supposed to be an inclusive night. It's not women only and men are not allowed. It's, no, like, women get in for free or something like that, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun. I just, it, it's so funny, and only Married with Children can get away with this kind of, like, exaggerated idea. Exactly. Um, I mean, it probably just was a lane or two dedicated to the, to the Women's League. And where are you calling from, sir, 1952? <laughs> I wish! Ike was in the White House, women were in the kitchen, and you were in the closet. <laughs> Ike was in the White House. Technically, no, because Ike was elected at the very end of 52. Truman was still in office, and Al would have only been four at that point, so we wouldn't even know who the president even was. So Al's on a bit of a ranch, and he, he's out to get revenge. He's on the attack. It, yes, he is, Anna. Get back. <laughs> He's so proud of his uh, gay joke, too. Like, the gay joke itself is very lazy, but that's, like, I'm not endorsing gay jokes, but the face Ed O'Neill makes after he says it is so great. Like, tee-hee, I made a funny. And it's just, it's to remind the audience members, no, don't worry, we're in on the joke. You don't have to be like Al. Yes. <laughs> Or Jerry. He sucks, too, in this episode. Indeed. Um, a style of television first perfected back in the early 70s when Archie Bunker stormed onto screen in the U.S. Um, where, the, where the whole point was he meant to laugh at him, not with him. Exactly. Yes. And I'm a big supporter of All in the Family, and I'm getting very tired of all the Archie Bunker, uh, like, 
next to Trump and everything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The point is, Archie Bunker's the lovable person. He's supposed to remind you of your grandpa. Even back then, he was supposed to remind you of your aging dad. It Yes, it is a terrifying idea of your aging dad slash grandpa becoming the president. But it happens somehow. somehow. That's the only kind of comparison I, I want to throw out there. I love the character, Archie Bunker, and I'm getting tired of of the disparagement of his... Uh, disparagement? Disparagement. Disparagement. One of those words. I'm getting tired of people getting down on him. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, that's a British show too, essentially. Uh, <laughs> I said intentional. <laughs> no, I don't... <laughs> If you get a chance, Tyler, watch the original show, um, Till Death is Depart, which was the basis I of all have. Oh, so you have seen Elf Garner. Now, he is basically just pure vile and not likable at all. Oh, that was so great. Like, as a history nerd, I like, that's why I watch old television and older movies, is because I was raised by grandparents, so I was always felt like I was out of time. And I find a window into a time long gone, especially, um, you know, into another culture's uh, world like England. I'm like, when I saw the first episode of Till Death, I was like, oh, this was not made for Americans. Perfect. And it's totally not made for people in almost this century. Like, I think the opening, and, and to anybody who's listening who's interested in checking this out, the opening scene of Till Death, like the very first of it, I had to figure out what they were doing. The, the guy is listening to a radio station, and he tells everybody to be quiet. And the radio station says, and at the beep, the time will be bling bling. And he starts setting his uh, watch, and the argument begins about what, what's the proper way to tell time. And I'm like, was this an argument that people had? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 1960s England for you. Just didn't know where if you guys were coming or going, I guess, back then. <laughs> Too much. I mean, that was only a quarter of where I was born, so imagine, amazing how quickly things change. Yeah. Hey, you and your thundering herds may think you won this bowling thing, mister, but let me tell you something. Thursday nights have always been men's bowling nights. And mark my words, next Thursday, men will be bowling! Mm-hmm. Played war, war at this point on the masculine feminists. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, they just, they, they kicked his butt. And later, Jefferson will, uh, not Jefferson, one of the no-man guys will say, those women, they're too strong. <laughs> yeah, and they're too weak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I should have taken a cue out of my book, because um, speaking of um, men's nights and women's nights, I think back to around this time three years ago, I actually got invited to one of my friends' um, pens parties or bachelorette parties for Americans, So, which is pretty much, um, well, isn't normally the case. Um, but this friend was all, bugger it, Matt's my friend, he's coming with me. <laughs> it was a very feminine night, too. <laughs> so wait, you were at the... I'm going to call it a hen party. <laughs> you were you were there? Yes, I was. Was it my friend? Were you stripping, Matt? Beauty <laughs> <laughs> bar, I wasn't stripping. There was a stripper. My friend was very apologetic to me about that. <laughs> but, um, yes, it was a night of pole dancing. I was forced to wear a tutu by another friend of mine. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you to wow. a photo. Yes, please. I knew it. Like, <laughs> I knew it. That's, that's going to happen. <laughs> 
Even if I, like, I delivered a pizza once to a bachelorette party, and I'm not kidding you guys. Like, they they were making jokes, but I, they were like, woo, pizza man. Like, you got, you got something to, more than just pizza you're delivering, that kind of stuff. And they were jokes, but I was like, oh man, if I started fake strip dancing now, these ladies would probably get in on it. <laughs> they were like 40 years older than me so i'm just like i'm gonna like you guys let you ladies enjoy your pizzas um mobiles and i'm out of here <laughs> you could have got made a, a very healthy tip could have oh yes yes they they looked hungry definitely and not just for pizza but but annabelle i wanted to ask you specifically about um this episode i i was really noticing it's not that it's just like, you know, it, with the symbol of like no ma'am and the anti-women sign there. The women in this episode are really like, it's like flipped mascu- uh, toxic masculinity or something like that. Like all the women are portraying the way this show would normally portray men. And you would think that the men on the flip side, the way comedies usually do it, would have them being stereotypically feminine, but they're not. It's almost a war between who can be more toxically male or toxically masculine. I just wondered, as a as a woman, what what you thought about that? Maybe you saw something I didn't. Um, I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, you can go very deep into the into studying this one in particular, but it, it's it's sort of. Um, all over the place. Yeah, it is, and like it's very, it's very, it's a very male episode, but it's also um, like married children being more macho, and um, the women, aside from Marcy, don't get a lot to do in this episode. So we we're sort of hearing all of the men's side up until the point where Marcy comes in. You know, Al says, "Mark my words, next Thursday night, men will be bowling." They're still bowling, but of course, he's in his shed. When we just we're we're left to conclude that oh the women have superiority again so yeah i think you're right um i'm not sure how succinctly i can put it but uh i think yeah the the way i ended my thought process last night when i was watching it because i was really thinking hard about that kind of stuff and maybe you can help me with that like my ending thought process was okay, Mary with Children is tricking the audience because there is you're constantly assuming there's an agenda with an episode titled No Ma'am, and, they, and the show makers are like, you're trying to figure out what that agenda might be, when really it's you kind of forget, it's Mary with Children, there is no agenda. Yeah, because um, I'm sort of looking at this episode in hindsight, so obviously we know who No Ma'am are, or is, Watching this episode for the first time, I thought, okay, it's leading to something. And I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to be. I didn't know they were going to tie up Jerry Springer. But I was still waiting for more to happen. And it was sort of, it just became, you know, Al versus Marcy. And it, it's it just, not a whole lot goes on, really. It's just, yeah, it's about, oh, Al sort of becoming more macho in a more cartoonish way. And it's sort of, I can't really say... What else I was expecting when I first saw it, because I can't remember. I can say that I'm not a huge fan of No Man in general. I mean, this episode is okay, and I'll save my review f- till the end. But 
uh, yeah, as a concept, I guess it's because I'm a woman, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, no man rules, rule, and it's, you know, it's hugely identifiable. Everyone knows what it is. If they're a fan of this show or of Al, they know what no man is, usually. I mean, it's the podcast logo on our, on, on the Married with Children merch. Exactly. And that's fine. It's one of the symbols that Married with Children is recognized by. I wonder how many people realize it started, you know, after the second half of the, of the series has started. So, you know, it's not until season eight that it begins. But it does become very saturated in, say, seasons nine and ten. I mean, you've only got this episode in season eight plus one more for season eight. Oh, yeah. And then season nine, it, it becomes more and more. And the only reason that I am not a huge fan of it I think the main reason anyway is because it takes away from the family dynamic, which is why I liked Murder Children in the first place. So you've got less screen time with, say, Al and Peg, Al and the family, uh, but and it's sort of more Al becoming more of a cartoon. He's becoming more sort of this machoization, if that's a word, later on. But I sort of get it at the same time because Al has to evolve in some way, but he's not a character that is big on evolution. So... It's, I'm in two minds about it. So I, I totally get it. But because, probably because I'm a woman, I'm not the biggest fan in the world. But I think the show, Married with Children, should focus more on the family. But at this point in the series, and certainly later on, because, you know, you've got four more seasons, or three more after this, you're going to need more ideas, new ideas. And No Man took off. And I, and I completely understand why. Thank you so much, Annabelle. That actually puts a lot of what I was thinking into uh, proper context. And I've noticed, like me and Stephen on, uh, me and Stephen Scott, when we're recording our episodes, we've noticed that there's a lot more um, calling back to old humor. Like, it's all about sex jokes. It's all about, uh, like, Kelly's an idiot. It's all about Bud not getting laid. Like, how often can you do the same jokes over and over? And this episode might have been that attempt to do something a little new, introduce some more blood into the show, create the, expand the universe, if, if you will. And I have no doubt in my mind that they had absolutely no idea that No Man was going to, the brand was going to be so, like, regarded. And because it pops up so frequently in the later episodes and in the seasons to come i it reeks of test audiences which is just like oh my god we love this stuff because there's a lot in this episode that you know mainstream america and you know i just want to say tv watching in general would latch on to the idea of the gender war has been used in almost every single television show i can think of like even in cartoons i watched as a little 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 kid had that boys versus girls kind of stuff and here's all the way the girls are and here's all the way the boys are and they're gonna clash and even the most liberal ones would have it ending with well both sides kind of suck but (laughs) i just i just thought that they're playing into that as a very you know let's make a very kind of experimental episode give al a bunch of gross male friends make Marcy and Peggy kind of a, uh, you know, a duo and get a bunch of gross females in there and show how both sides kind of really suck. 
I think you've you've summed it up very well. Uh, I'm not sure if I, I hope what I said made sense, but yeah, I totally get it, and it's it's very satirical in that sort of men versus women thing. And like you say, from this point on. Al's getting more cartoonish, even a bit silly, even. But it's something I've noticed. But the whole show is, yeah, the whole, yeah, the whole show is, and uh, this season in particular, it's more sporty as well. There's a lot more sport involved. This season's actually bookended by sports episodes. When you think about it, it's just an observation, really. I mean, so they are looking for new things, new cast members. I think season nine had better additions with the cast members. We'll talk about that when we come to it. But yeah, I like the No Man actors, you know, Bob Rooney and Ike and Griff and Officer Dan. I like the actors. I like some of their characters, especially when they're being made fun of a bit more. And But yeah, they, they sort of divvy them up, you know, it's husbands versus wives. And the show, you could say, is about that to begin with. But it's, you know, it's that family dynamic that is missing. Yeah, and Matt, since, uh, sorry me and Annabelle kind of derailed the whole, like, discussion here, but... Uh, Matt, would you uh, like to talk about Al's uh, Al's group of dudes? Because I was impressed, immensely impressed, at how much good chemistry there was between all these uh, guys here. Because Married with Children, it's, they don't do that too often. It's usually two, maybe three, sometimes four people, and... Very rarely is it a bunch of newbies slash people we've seen before all in an enclosed space bouncing off of each other. And I think they did that very well. What are you thinking, Matt? Well, this being the first No Man episode, I think the whole No Man group got off right off the bat very well almost straight away. I mean, obviously not all of them are there. For example, Ike, you don't see him until season nine, but you see Bob Rooney... Officer Dan hasn't joined them quite yet. Um, but that first no man meeting in Al's garage, where they're relegated to the bowling league, like there's no other bowling alleys in suburban Chicago, please. It just feels like it's got right off the, right off the tee to um, just, just right there. Um, I mean, any show that gets to an eighth season needs new ideas anyway. So I personally think no man really helped the show in seasons eight, season nine, season 10. There's a few no man in season 11 as well, but the show by itself was going down a bit by then. And I remember I watched this episode for the first time in the summer of 07, 08. So your winter, Tyler. Um, I was on some school holidays between last year. I was going into senior in high school, what we call year 12. And pretty much as soon as I finished the episode, I remember I went on Amazon and used some of my Christmas money to order a No Man t-shirt pretty much right after I watched the episode. <laughs> nice. Very good. Because it wasn't just a t-shirt for me. I didn't become a fan of the show, Tyler, just that previous June. So I was going for all the episodes the first time. And, uh, well, <laughs> so this being my senior year of school and everything, I actually wore the shirt to school a few times that year on what we call free dress days down here. Um, you'll be pleased to know only one person out of all the teachers and students was offended. Huh. Um, I'm actually less pleased about that. I was I would hope more people who didn't know the context would be more offended. Like, <laughs> it's a very offensive logo out of context. I'm just going to put it out there. Like, I would not have been allowed to wear that in my school. I mean, I wasn't allowed to wear my Bart Simpson's Down With Homework shirt because it was considered too radical. So may I reiterate, no teachers complained about my shirt. Okay. 
I'm not sure about your YouTube. I was a bit lazy as a teenager. It got me doing my laundry. Um, I was a bit of a slob growing up eating, so it helped me um, not get dinner all over my shirt. Uh, and people in my friendship group at school, um, they, already, they already knew I was a fan of the show. I mean, because when I first made a MySpace, I used a picture of Al Bundy as a picture, and um, some of them didn't know who I was. Some of them did. Um, so my friends knew what, what the shirt was all about, because uh, probably because I explained it to them, and they – Half of them thought it was insane for watching the show. They're like, oh, it's too old. Oh, that, that show's not funny. Or Kelly's a tramp, blah, 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 blah. Their loss. But, yes, very fond school memories for me. Wearing that shirt around school as a naughty year 12. <laughs> wow. That's that's kind of that's kind of awesome, actually. Like, this, you're, you're just this 12-year-old kid walking around being like, no, Al Bundy's the greatest. <laughs> Seventeen, so it was year twelve of school, so I was seventeen at the time, not twelve. Oh man, see, a dumb American right here. I just... should have said twelfth grade. Twelfth grade, senior year of high school. <laughs> yeah, I know the rest of the world uh, does stuff like, oh, it's we're in our blank year, where here it's grade, I guess. Yeah, so there you have a twelfth grade, not seventh grade. So um, I was just one year short of being an, an adult at this point, and uh, it was just one of many good memories from that period. Uh, so back to Al's garage, um, where they're playing a pathetic game of bowling. <laughs> I had those bowling pins and bowling ball, those colored pins. I had that. They're lawn bowl. It's lawn bowling, right? I think yeah, so. Yeah, because yeah, a couple of my friends had them too. Yeah. You'd think there'd be other bowling athletes in suburban Chicago that um, no man could use, but don't tell me Jerry Springer deployed angry women to all of them, because from where I live in here in Perth and Western Australia, there are two bowling alleys within 10 minutes' drive of me, so there's got to be more around for Al and company. But, well, let's face it, it's Al Bundy. I don't think, I think he'd be too lazy to find another bowling alley. Well, Al doesn't, Al doesn't like change, and he, he doesn't like the boat to be rocked because he lost his bowling night because the women have chosen his night to take away, so he's getting up, up in arms about that. So instead of finding another place to go and bowl that night, going to sit there and stew in his own juices and plot revenge. It's not a terribly amount of a plot hole, and this, episode, this show makes you suspend your disbelief, but this is actually one thing that kind of actually fits with real life so i am not on a bowling league but i did um i was on one for a little bit i was a reserve person <laughs> i was used to throw uh, basically i was not that good like my bowling average is 118 120 which is considered is very disgusting to like pro level people and but i was on there i would be trotted out when you they wanted to psych the other team out because they're like, ooh, who's this guy? Maybe he can do really great. I they told me that after they did that, but it it worked. Uh, bowling league stuff is very competitive, uh, especially at this time in Marywood Children. There were a lot of bowling leagues, especially in a place like Chicago. And when someone says that's my bowling night, they're not referring to. This is the night we collectively agreed that we're all going to go bowling. No, no, no. That's the night we reserved, our league reserved a specific time to play. And this is the part where you got to spend the belief. That the bowling alley would say, all right, Mr. Jerry Springer, we'll agree to suspend all the league reserve 
times for your women's like demonstration? Um, absolutely not. The leagues are what keep bowling alleys in business. They're, they they purchase reserve times for like up to six or seven months at a time, or like seasons at a time. Like the, these bowling leagues will, uh, five or six guys will lay down like a few grand in reserve. Like their lanes need to be reserved, whether they're there or not. I remember waiting with my friends outside of bowling league time because like, oh, sorry, only two lanes are available. I'm like, but nobody's using those. They're like, well, no, they're reserved for the leagues. So this is actually a big deal. Like the fact that they're doing it in their garage, meaning, well, no, they probably couldn't go to another bowling alley because another bowling alley probably had a different league night going on. This is actually a very vindictive thing that's being done to only Al's group. <laughs> like, I could understand if all, and this might explain where all these other men show up for no ma'am. I think this was it. Like, little bit by bit, these leagues were being, having their nights taken away, which, again, no bowling alley would do that. You would not destroy that kind of revenue. Like, fair weather bowlers are nice, but those leagues keep the alleys in business, even to this day. That makes total sense. Yeah, so uh, that's my little uh, <laughs> bowling thing. I love bowling. It's a lot of fun. I love being on a league. Um, if I wasn't podcasting and had this awesome Facebook group, I probably would have joined a bowling league out here in my new city right now. But, nah, I like podcasting better. Better on the, on the wrists. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but yes, yeah, so sorry about that big derailment. <laughs> you did mention um, some of these Nomad guys, and, and some of them we never see again. This is ridiculous. I worked hard all week. I'm not going to sit home on bowling night. Well, we can't go back to the bowling alley. Those women are too strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't go home. We're too weak. <laughs> so, in addition to Jerry Springer, obviously, we have... Dan Tullis Jr. as Officer Dan, first time credited as Officer Dan, and we'll be seeing a lot more of him between now and the end of the series. Yeah. E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney, I believe this is his, his first appearance. Steve Susskind as Barney, Christopher Collins as Roger, and we also have John Mariano as Pete, Trip Hamilton as Jim, Harriet Lyder as Velma, Timothy Amundsen as the bartender. Gridberg as the waitress, William Palmieri as guy one, and Frank Noon as guy two. I'm assuming they'd be no members with no names. Lisa Boyle as Ms. Bubbles DD. And yes, there is these the final additions to this episode. Wow. Like, I recognized maybe three of those names. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Rudy, Officer Dan, and, or are you talking about the actors and actresses? No, I'm talking about the actors and actresses. Uh, at- actual names because usually i recognize the names of guest stars one of the guys one of the nomad guys he looked a bit like michael stipe from rem oh yeah like most of these dudes with the exception of officer dan and uh bob Iger, like most of the guys totally look like gross uh tobacco chewing uh beer swilling guys that i would just see in a random bar out here nowadays or a bowling alley <laughs> <laughs> uh, these guys don't they, not even bowling alley like these guys look a lot of them look like barflies from a really seedy dive bar and i think that's the point like that's 
that's why I thought it was so amazing that they got a lot of these just rando character actors and they were all able to work so well off of each other. Like their comedic timing is very is very good. And if people don't agree with me, like go back and watch some of their scenes with them and with that idea of good chemistry. They all have it. I agree. And when you watch the scene when they're having a bit of a scuffle in the garage, um, someone gets hit in the face, in the nose. I think it's the guy in the cap, in the red cap, but he holds his nose after that. So if you watch it again, look out for that. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah, I totally saw it this time. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you actually got it in the night. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and uh, you brought it up, Annabelle, but one of my favorite bits that they keep doing with this group is one of the dudes will, ins- just out of nowhere, insult Al's wife. And then Al will, like, and everyone will just be silent. And then Al will just turn and go, well... How about the blah, 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 blah with your wife? And literally, as he puts a period on the end of that sentence of insulting the man's wife in retort, they like, okay, it's like you, it's like they heard a ding for a fight thing we didn't <laughs> hear. And they all just jump on each other. Like, that's what I mean. It's so well choreographed. Like, I think they were all, I don't think there was direction for these guys. I think it was like, all right. And you're at some point, you insult Al's wife and Al when he that happens you insult back and then you guys fight because I think they just chose that time and they're like oh here we go because everyone like pauses and goes into like a stage ready to pounce but it also looks realistic because everyone's just like oh crap they're at it again kind of deal they remind me of male groupings that I'm that I've been a part of with like when I'm with my close friends in a private place like a garage or a house or something like that, where it can just drop on a hat like that. A bunch of guys just go, like, all of a sudden a fight breaks out. And then it ends. Like, hey, 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 we're cool, we're cool. Yeah, yeah. Good. And then they're mates again, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I can relate to that a bit, yes. Um, yeah, so we're bowling off. Um, there's one more avenue. To the last great bastion for the American red-blooded male. Where there is no such thing as ladies' night. And a nudie bar! At the nudie bar! (laughs) The nudie bar, which is better than bowling. Where a buck's enough to see their stuff. (laughs) the nudie bar! Where the breasts may be fake, but man, do they shake. Where you swear like a sailor and wish you could nail her. (laughs) Where the cops are at the door and there's a Kennedy on the floor. (laughs) 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 As I go there and I notice a few things are missing. Where are the mirrors? Huh? Oh, no. It's feminist poetry in a coffee house. Tonight, I would like to dedicate this poem to my ovaries. (laughs) I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Uh, Was this a thing of the vagina? Was this a a ripoff of the vagina monologues? Ooh, I don't know if it's too early for that or not. Let me just check the date. Either someone stealing something from somebody because 
I that looked exactly like the vagina monologues uh, to me, or at least what people would caricature what the vagina monologues was. Uh, 1994. So this is before. 1994, a play called The Vagina Monologues was written by playwright and activist Eve Ensler. That broke ground, offering to the world a piece of art like nothing it had seen before. So Married with Children actually got there before Vagina Monologues did. So what you're, So who wrote it? Who wrote The Vagina Monologues? Uh, her name is Eve Ensler. She's so an activist and playwright. So what you're telling me is that Eve Ensler one night was getting really drunk and needed some good ideas for her new play... And then turned on Married with Children, and No Man was playing. And when that egg, my eggs, my kingdom for my eggs, or something like that, starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's God bless that uh, that uh, that actress for pulling that off. That was so great. Um, but uh, <laughs> when she does that, the playwright just goes, "The China monologues." will be a hit, and then promptly passes out. And then forgot where she got the idea. So, yeah, she owes Mary with children for that. Hmm, you could be onto something there. But yeah, I think it's just a comment on, you know, the coffee houses of the time were getting more uh, feminist and, um, I don't want to say hipster, but... Oh, hipster AF. Arty and, you know, inclusive and more women to be included in various nights, including god-awful poetry readings. Um, can I ask you, though, can I ask both of you, have either of you two been or attended a nudie bar before? Uh, Strip club or uh, an exotic dancing establishment? However, I have. Okay. Nudie bars, they're just called strip clubs here. But yeah, I have been to a couple, but I have not been to one sober. <laughs> uh, wow, that most of the ones I've been to... I've been to a lot, but there are a few in my area. Um, that, well, the the ones that serve booze are called gentlemen's clubs. Uh, those strip clubs do not serve booze. What about you, Matt? I can't say I've been to any um, strip clubs, nudie bars myself. Um, the main strippers I've seen is at Bucks and Bachel- or Bachelor Party or Hen and Bachelorette Party over, over the years I've been to. So I can't say I've ever been to a um, nudie bar or strip club myself. Yeah. So yeah, those are completely different type of beasts right there. Um, I mean, not the not the strippers. I'm not calling them beasts, but they that's a completely different type of thing where they go to a private party. So, but I gotta ask though. So Annabelle, you've been there, Matt. You can imagine it because you see you've been around uh, dancers before. If you were to go there, Matt, and let's Annabelle, let's say you were going and I was going to, would either would either you guys consider bringing a raw egg for some reason oh let me think about that um considering i actually like eating food and not wasting it no but but no you're not gonna eat it matt it's a raw egg it's not even a hard-boiled egg that someone grossly theoretically could bring as a snack like what are you gonna do with a raw egg (laughs) i don't even like to carry a bag around so i'm not gonna carry a bloody egg Oh, it's just, when that egg hit her, I laughed, of course, but then I thought, wait a second, they thought they were going to a nudie bar, like, what are they bringing an egg for? And then my mind's like, oh, well, okay, you know what, that is a gross old man snack, I guess. But then I'm like, wait, no, it broke open. That's a, 
That was a raw egg. <laughs> and Al's the one who threw it. You can see his hand in the bottom of the screen. But yeah, I don't know where he got the egg from. Oh, it was? I thought it was Jefferson who threw it. If you if you watch it again, just it looks like his hand to me from where the angle and everything just looks like his hand because he's got big hands. Okay, Annabelle, that's it. If we ever if if we ever get to do the Merry with Children panel and Ed O'Neill's on, that's my question. Did you throw the egg? <laughs> I'm just gonna stand up and shout it. Did you throw the egg, Ed? Did you throw it? And if you did, why did you have it? <laughs> and he'll be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> It's a question, Mr. O'Neill. It's a question. Please answer it. I have a serious question for Mr. O'Neill, yes. Do you have an egg on you right now? And if so, you may throw it at me. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I wrote down in my notes, like, raw egg must ask Matt and Annabelle. So, yeah, and cross that note out. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you asked that, Tyler. And as Jefferson said... They're definitely not in Kansas anymore, to quote the Wizard of Oz. Like, again, most of us would have um, heard of that, the, um, what, 1930s film, I believe? Yeah, 1939. 1939. Yes, thank you, Anna. Yes, 1939. Yes, no, ma'am, Saturday nights are gone. Thursday was bowling, Saturday night was nudie bar. I mean, doesn't the Constitution guarantee us the right to life, nudity, and the pursuit of happiness? (laughs) Are you sure that's nudity? <laughs> life? life? Nudity? Yes! <laughs> this is the last straw. I say it's time we stood up to the onslaught of this womanity. Yeah. <laughs> They've taken everything away from us. I say it's time that we take something away from them. Which leads to, or, oh, the next episode of The Masculine Feminist. <laughs> the nice broadcast of The Masculine Feminist has been commandeered by the secret society No Man, National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. For those um, who aren't aware, I'm, I'm sure you all are, because you listen to a Married to Children podcast, but if you just watch these for the first time, it's the National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. time somebody announces that out loud it makes me chuckle i know what it means i've read it before but only when i hear it spoken out loud does it make me laugh it's so stupid because <laughs> you would like like are you just like, are you just saying you're anti-woman or like are you are you against politeness I know a lot of women hate being referred to as ma'am because it makes them sound old. Are you against that? <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's half the point. <laughs> yes. If you go, go back to when I wore that shirt to school, a lot of my classmates read this back of it out loud and wondered what on earth it meant. So to put things in perspective, I was, I was only six in 1997 when Married and Children ended, so people my age are not old enough to watch a show when it was first on. Well, I'm wondering if people saw just the front of your shirt and they have no idea about Married with Children or anything to do with the show and they either think, okay, you're a raging misogynist or you're homosexual. (laughs) Ooh. Ooh, you know what? That makes me want to wear the shirt even more because, like, anybody... Not that I'm... Because anybody who knows me knows I'm none of those things and I'm, like, actually a very uh, annoying person who tries to go out and say things against those concepts 
So it is a great shirt, just no ma'am. No other context, nothing else. And unless you know Married with Children, it would bring that up. So that is a good way to troll your friends with a t-shirt. Yeah, someone comes up to you and goes, Hey, brah, nice shirt! And that that's the way an Australian jerk in my mind talks. And you're like, I want to wear one too! And uh, like, yeah, you're, friends, you're, you're a fan of Married with Children? Wait, what's Married with Children? I just hate bras! You say, oh, never mind. Bye-bye. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any complaints for wearing it. So I, I, I sometimes get a few compliments from, people, from fellow Married with Children fans that ever wear it um, when walking around town and the like. So I've never had anyone complain about it, aside from that one classmate um, 12 years ago. But um, I've had a few people compliment me on the shirt. Yes. Because they're fellow Good. fans. I would reveal my true identity, but for political reasons, I cannot. But do not take me lightly. I once scored four touchdowns in a single game for Pokemon. Hey, Daddy once scored four touchdowns, too. <laughs> that is Daddy, you mudflap. And um, we see um, Alan No Ma'am as Mars Bandits. Jerry Springer is tied up with a sign that says ovulate, his mouth gagged. That, that, that still frame is one of my favourite um, shots of the whole series. Boy, if Marcy finds out about this, she'll be down there in a second. Gee, I wonder if she's watching. <laughs> well, I guess so. Yeah, so if you look at the studio audience of tonight's edition of The Masculine Feminist, you know this has been commented by a whole room of no-mammers, including a John 3.16 sign in the audience. That's a reference to Roland Frederick Stewart, born on the 23rd of February, 1944, known as and Roland and Rainbow Man, a man who was a fixture in American sports culture, best known for wearing that rainbow-coloured Afro-style wig, and later holding up the John 316 sign at stadium events all around America and the world back in the 70s and 80s. He's currently serving three sentences in prison after being convicted of multiple kidnapping charges after a 1992 incident. He was previously mentioned in Proud to Be Your Bud, episode three of this season, John 316, for God so loved the world, as he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, that's creepy that that actually started with a kidnapper. Okay, um, I'm never going to uh, endorse that sign to be used at a sporting event again. Because I've seen that all my life at sporting events, at concerts, at rallies, everything. And... I did not know it was started. Obviously, it was started in the Bible, but I didn't know that waving that uh, Bible verse sign was done by a kidnapper. Wow, that's creepy. Yeah, he's been booked in 92, so that a year before this was filmed. He was just letting everybody know what he was going to do with their kids. Like, God, for I so loved your children, I'm going to take them. I don't know. Like, that's that's just a very fascinating bit of trivia. I I never knew that. There you go. You learn something every day, Tyler. I guess so. <laughs> Al's got the floor in the show, and uh, Kelly thinks he's someone else when he talks about four touchdowns because <laughs> she's Kelly, obviously. Oh, somebody else won four touchdowns in a single game. Maybe Daddy likes him. <laughs> Daddy is I Daddy, too. you mud flap. <laughs> 
<laughs> or mud guards are used in combination with the vehicle's fender or bumper to protect the vehicle, passengers, and pedestrians from mud and other flying debris thrown in the air by the rotating tyre, made typically with rubber. So there we have it for those automotive fans out there. And yes, but Bud can easily recognise, obviously, his dad, Jefferson, Bob Rooney, he, he already knows who Bob Rooney is, and Mr. Anderson. I don't, I don't think we'd hear about Mr. Anderson as another no-man member in the future. No, I don't think so. Every day for the past 30 years, you high-heeled pit bulls have blamed us for everything. <laughs> From not being able to get into Harvard to not being able to get into stretch pants. Yeah! yeah. We, we've been called pigs! We've been called scum! We've even been called plywood bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least I have. See, because he mentions 30 years, so that would be 1963. And Jefferson, plywood bottom is not a common insult. It's not pig. Sorry, Jefferson, plywood bottom is not a common insult. You fail. (laughs) Um, I gotta ask, did either of you guys think that the show was going to make the joke that Marcy and uh, Peggy did not immediately recognize that it was Al and Jefferson? I didn't didn't think they were going to do that because um, that's more of a Kelly joke rather than a Peggy or Marcy joke. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, this show is getting a little Looney Tunesy, and I love the idea that all they had to do is put on those masks, and now you don't know who I am. So, <laughs> uh, Jefferson's name is actually Hank. Four years before we had met Hank, the propane salesman from King of the Hill. Oh, that's why I think. Okay, thank you. That's why I don't think Mr. Anderson is used anymore because. Uh, that's actually a character on Mike Judge's, the guy who, yeah, Beavis and Butthead, who wrote King of the Hill. And I think that was getting a lot of track at that time. And Tom Anderson. No, I think, well, yeah, Tom Anderson, whatever, but it's always Mr. Anderson. Yes, um, because Tom Anderson actually, um, I'm assuming both of you have seen Beavis and Butthead? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As you remember then, um, Tom Anderson is basically Hank Hill, Mark One. He's basically Hank Hill, but about 20 years older and with um, early stages of dementia because he never remembers who Beavis and Butthead are. Beavis and Butthead always trash his house. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was basically the basis of Hank Hill, so just 20 years older. He loves butane. Not propane. And that would infuriate Hank. Oh, he'd start World War Three. And, you know, that actually is a, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a scene in ooh, second season of King of the Hill where, um, someone's like, how about some, how about we use butane? And he goes, Bobby, don't, that's a bastard gas. No, Bobby's like, that's a bastard yes. gas. <laughs> because that's what, uh, Mr. Anderson said he loved, which the only reason they put that in there was because King, uh, King of the Hill was the propane guy. And Mike Judge realized, oh, crap, I need to distinguish these characters differently, but also in a funny way. Yes. <laughs> and a nice to anyone who watched um, Beavis and Butter before King of the Hill, because from the same creator, but they're very different shows, so some people would watch one but not the other. Uh, I love King of the Hill. It's my, one of my favorite animated shows, um, probably my second favorite after The Simpsons, actually. It is one of my... Yes, after The Simpsons, I would have to say King of the Hill is definitely one of my favorites, and I even probably put it tied with The Simpsons as one of the best written shows. 
uh, of all time. I want to say more so because the more Simpsons keeps writing, the more they're going to have a chance to dilute their scale. Because I re- I've rewatched King of the Hill maybe eight times. I'm talking like season one to all the way to the end, and it's just just so beautifully every every line is just beautifully scripted and written and lands perfectly like i just i can't endorse that show enough and i was allowed to watch king of the hill i was not allowed to watch beavis and butthead i had to watch that at a friend's house after school oh did did you talk (laughs) oh my my mom would not allow that filth in the house as she would call it like these are stupid stupid characters and i wasn't smart enough to articulate i know mom that's the point <laughs> it's like but uh, when it was the cornholio thing that banned it because me and my brother would just put our shirts up over our head and do the cornholio thing for hours and hours and hours and she was just like okay that's enough never gonna see that show in this house again <laughs> I'm Cornholio. I'm on a podcast. I'm reminded you guys. Me, me, Tippy. Tippy, bunghole. Tippy. Bunghole. No, Tippy. Fire, yes. I could do it all day. Well, we're sick and tired of this. <laughs> now, we have a list of demands, and if these demands are not met, we are going to take this masculine feminist and perform television's first sexorcism. <laughs> so, we've we got Jerry Springer hogtied, right, Matt? But there's more. There are five demands. Demand one. You gals want a ladies' night? Try having it in the kitchen cooking for a man. Demand two. Don't put on a dress and ask us if it makes you look fat. We hate that. (laughs) Besides, it's not the dress that makes you look fat. It's the fat that makes you look fat. Demand three, don't ask us to talk or cuddle after sex, or before sex, or during sex. You're lucky we take our pants off. You take your pants off? How do you get them over your shoes? Demand four, don't ask us to say I love you over the phone. It's hard enough to say it to someone we're paying a dollar a minute to talk to. Stop talking about Fabio. Yeah, with his long flowing blonde hair and 48-inch chest, we're the ones who should be talking about him. (laughs) Anyway, those are our five demands. We had five more written down, but somebody couldn't blow his nose without a hanky. You cook me a full dinner with roast Yorkshire puddings, a full roast of all the trimmings, and sticky that toffee pudding afterwards, lady. (laughs) Well, so... (laughs) Those demands, like I said, um, they fit very well with our discussion about what No Ma'am was and how this show is just... The, it's it's taking this concept of these anti-women men and taking it very, very stereotypical and almost Looney Tunes-y in, in a way. So any kind of hatred that's going to be brought by people who don't who are watching this and don't understand that what Mary with children does i think that if they don't get it by that like let's say somebody's watching the show air and they've never seen Mary with children before and let's say they were a lady and they were being very offended by al and jefferson's talk about women and everything 
I think when they got to this part, Annabelle, they would realize they may not like it, but they would just go, oh, oh, that's what we're doing. The second they show up with masks on and everything, like, oh, oh, it's all a big joke. Okay. Yes, and it's because you clearly can't tell who they are. <laughs> that's my Halloween costume, by the way, for this coming year. Like, it is going to be a no man shirt with that adorable cutout mask. Like, <laughs> just... And he can't reveal your true identity for political reasons. Oh, yeah. Well, hang on. What are we calling you now, Tyler? Obviously, you can't reveal your real name. <laughs> I just... That's so fucking... so funny. Like, hey, I told you my name is Hank. <laughs> Sorry, Jefferson. It's okay, Al. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Do you like the names they chose for themselves? I mean, I would never have picked Clyde for Al, but... <laughs> They're all one syllable man names because I actually yeah. I actually read that somewhere um, that apparently when men try to give it's a subconscious thing when a man chooses an alias for themselves they will almost always choose a one syllable name if it's a two syllable name it's very short. Mm, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to pick two syllable one. Uh, just just brainstorm my mind. Okay, Matt. <laughs> for peers or something. I just say no one's gonna go with like, call me Frederick. No, call me Fred. I don't know. It's like uh, one syllable. Urgh. It, it, if it goes more to a grunt, it's it's better. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right because if I was gonna make up a name for myself or change my name, I would probably go with something like Clytemnestra. There, there, there you go. I would be and I would be Clyde. <laughs> nice. So, ladies, you've got 30 minutes. Which, of course, is two hours in woman's time. <laughs> to address these demands, or we'll... We'll, um... Thinking, thinking, out of exes, experiencing runtime errors, thinking, thinking. <laughs> or we'll go for burgers! Which absolutely makes no sense at all. We'll go for burgers! <laughs> Oh my god, and by the way, the huddle is great. Me and my friends did an improv group in college, and we legit, in real real time, forgot where we were going with our improv. Like, because it, it went with like, and we'll, alright, we're at the store now, and oh, the store's closed. And we didn't realize that we had nothing planned after that. And then we just all stood there in silence in front of the class. And the teacher who prompted us was like, and where are we going from here, guys? And we all looked at each other, and I just shouted, huddle! And we all huddled like that way. <laughs> and the teacher said it actually saved the the performance comedy-wise, because the audience, like, cracked up big time. <laughs> I've got an improv class next week. Like, um, I, I go to an acting class every so often, and we did improv last week, so we'll probably do it this coming week as well. So if I'm in my, that position, if I need an idea, I'm just going to be like, we'll go for burgers! Oh, no, you can't do that, though. It's improv. Yeah, that's why I haven't done it yet. I've got to go with the flow. <laughs> it's improv. I just, I'm, I haven't done it. I'm waiting for the perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Someone record. You should have that recorded and make it a Patreon exclusive. Yes. <laughs> I would pay top dollar for that. I would, too. 
So on the subject, still continuing on the theme of names, um, we go back to the Bundy house and um, Peggy, Kelly and Bud are looking through the telephone directory, how nice 93 of them, for a new surname. Uh, what about Berkowitz? We could change our name to that. That's a reference to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Can't spell it. <laughs> see, what about, uh, what about Borden? Can't spell that either. That's a reference to Lizzie Borden. They lived between 1860 and 1927. American woman, main suspect in the August 4th, 1892 axe murders of her dad and stepmom in Fall River, Massachusetts. What can you spell? Cat. <laughs> so let's go to the case. The writers I love that they're both serial killers. <laughs> I know, because the name Bundy isn't good enough. Yes. This is actually a very well multi-layered joke. I completely didn't even think about that, that it's like, oh yeah, they are all serial killers, and they even, their original name is Bundy, so we gotta be named a serial killer name. So, Dahmer, Borden, Berkowitz, how we're running out, like... (laughs) Yes, very well done there, but they obviously go with, oh, hang on, what can Kelly spell? Cat! Let's go to the K's! (laughs) <laughs> she still hasn't learned to spell it since uh, season five. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> That's a one-two punch too of a joke because you just think it's her going cat. Oh, that's adorable because she's stupid and can spell cat, and then goes with K. Well, she's actually semi-correct in a different language because the German spelling of cat is Katze, which has a K at the start of it. So. I don't know, maybe the Bundys, the wankers, have got a bit of German or Dutch in them. Probably do, or Scandinavian even, considering, you know, Illinois, Wisconsin. Yes, well, as we all know, in Amer- with the American language, we take the words that the Europeans don't know how to say correctly and show them how to say it correctly. Why would you say cats up when it's just cats? Oh. When will they learn? Ah, oh, yes. Um, when, will, when will us Australians learn to spell things with Zs and not Ss? <laughs> Why do we put an extra letter like you in words? I don't get that either. Oh, I know. You can keep your color and... Wait, do you guys spell color with a U? Yes. I knew it! It's, it's blasphemy. John 316 to that color thing right there. Yes. I don't... Quickly say though, Tyler, a lot of Australians my age will actually spell words the American way and say Z instead of Z in the alphabet. So American spelling is quite common down here, especially amongst people my age. Uh, see, I knew you guys were, were good. There you go. <laughs> I got a question though. Since America had all the best serial killers, I, I don't know why this is popping up in my head, but are there any Australian serial killers? Hmm. Oh, just gonna see. Or is that just an American thing? Well, only the serial killers that come to mind for me are Americans. So I'm trying to think. There's Ivan Malat. He's the only one I can think of. He, he murdered backpackers. I thought you were going to say, like, oh, it's got to be some cutesy uh, Australian thing, like he murdered turtles or something like that. Like, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that Why the hell hasn't someone made that a movie yet? The Australian backpacker murderer, like, oh, get on that shutter, oh. I'd, I'd say that thing was made. No, I just I would I want more. Like the more times I find out that oh, a lot of my favorite actors are Australian, like the more I want to find out. Like, 
why can't I just watch some Australian horror movies? Like, give me some Australian killers. Well, there's Wolf Creek. Have you seen Wolf Creek? I haven't seen it, but I was about to mention Wolf Creek too. Yeah, that's basically... The only Australian horror movie I've seen recently is uh, The Relic. And it was really good. Because I always thought that, I'm not going to lie, I thought the accents was going to take me out of the movie. Because I just, I find the Australian way of speaking, I find it very charming. And I've only had positive things related to Australia in my entire life. So to find it, to to go into a horror setting, I always thought, oh, is this going to take it out for me? But no, it wasn't. I... I found a lot of it. It's aesthetic, very, very pleasing. So I say, I feel honored hearing that, um, Tyler. Um, much, much appreciated. Um, if, when you get a chance, once you can travel internationally again, I recommend coming down here to Australia. Oh yeah, it's my very first place that I'm going to travel when I can leave the continent. Nice. So definitely come on down. But speaking of Australia, I will also recommend a TV show, not a film, but a TV show for you to watch if you haven't already. If you can find it, it's on YouTube. Watch Kingswood Country. <laughs> <laughs> basically think all in the family minus the serious stuff removed and more idiocy so ted bullpit his name is is basically archie bunker more of a um village idiot basically if he al- loves his dodge ted you not you know one's allowed to drive his car <laughs> oh man oh i like i i had to insert some of the stuff because i know there's going to be a lot of american listeners who are going to be like we want to hear more Australian stuff. Like, let's do it. Like, because it's just, it, it's a very fascinating country and it's not talked about or represented enough in the stuff that I watch. Uh, blow shambles, of course. Time to blow podcasts up. <laughs> and Tyler, there was another uh, sitcom on here in the, in the 90s. It was quite decent. And um, you'll be familiar with this. The show was called Hey Dad. When the father of that show, the actor, he turned out to be. Um, how should we put it? Serial killer? No, not a serial killer, but he was a perv and a pedophile and he's now behind bars. So it sort of keeps in line with some of the TV dads in America too, but we have one of our own apparently. Man, like, see, my, my dumb brain, American brain literally was like, it said it in my head faster than I could like destroy it from a rational point of view, but it was like, they have perverts in Australia? Like, uh, <laughs> I thought we had those here. I thought that's what, I thought we were the only ones who had those. <laughs> so that's a show that will never get rerun. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a definite one to check out now. Not for those reasons, but just for, because it's gone now. Just historical purposes. Yeah. My, but my last uh, Australian thing that I want to mention, and I really want to know if you guys can like, throw some news my way after that the reason i love australia so much was it was the first country i ever wrote a very 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 long research paper on so i did it was one of my very first college papers and the thing that made me fall in love with it was the first line that i used to open my uh, paper that australia is to my knowledge the only country that has ever lost a prime minister and I use the term lost literally. Like, uh, I don't remember. Uh, apparently, he's a prime minister from about, I believe, 1920 or something like that, 1920s. And he was strolling across his coastal uh, side of his home. 
and went out for a walk and never came back. Are you talking about Harold Holt? Yes. He went swimming in 67, the very end of the year, and he was never found. So, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he drowned, but some say he was abducted by aliens. Some say he was taken in by another nation. There's all these, like everything, there's always conspiracy theories. But, uh, yeah. But that's insane. I, I looked it up, and I was like, what do you mean lost? Come on. I mean, maybe lost at the time, but they found him or had some answers. Nope. Like, I'm trying to imagine the sense of, we lost the president. That made me, that was like, okay, this country is insanely unique. How more unique can it get? And it just kept growing. We've got sort of a a sense of humor, um, however healthy or sick, about these things, because just looking quickly, looking on Wikipedia now, he was suspected of drowning, but it's never been proven, of course. But his death has entered Australian folklore and was commemorated by, amongst other things, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre. What? <laughs> that is awesome. That That's like saying the uh, John F. Kennedy sharpshooting school. Exactly. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's... <laughs> you would never do that here. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to visit this country. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes Tyler gushing over Australia's part of the podcast. Back to you, Matt. All right. So um, we have the representative of the working woman, Ms. Bubbles D.D. Ms. D. (laughs) You're a working woman. What do you think of Roe versus Wade? Gee, I don't know that much about boxing. I'd like to go out to dinner with whoever wins. (laughs) I mean, you name your child Bubbles. Where do you think she's going to go? And she's asked about Roe versus Wade, which is a 1973 um, landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court about um, the availability of abortions nationwide, which struck down various state and um, local abortion laws. Mm. She thinks it was a boxing match. I just love that Al asks us such a serious question. and then Like, it is the worst question to ever ask anybody anywhere, anytime about, in any context. Especially a woman. Like, I can't think of a sink even in a political science class, like, I can't think of a single instance in my life where you could actually look at someone and say, How you doing, Annabelle? So, Annabelle, nice to meet you. I just gotta ask you one thing. What's your opinion on Roe versus Wade? <laughs> Gee, I, I don't know that much about boxing. <laughs> like, you know what? I think Bubbles is actually really brilliant and knows exactly what's going on here and knows there's no way out of this kind of conversation without doing that. So she's like, you know what? Hey, T, it's a boxing match. <laughs> you idiots. That did cross my mind. I wondered if she sort of thought, hang on, there's no way out of this. Yeah, um, I'm going to play dumb. That's a smart move because, yeah, are you for it or are you against it? Either way, you're going to get hated by half the country. He probably said the same thing about Obergefell versus Hodges if the episode was filmed now in 2015, which struck down marriage laws across the U.S. Great acting there from Lisa Boyle, who returned as Kelly's friend Fawn in a season 10 episode. Would you jump up and down? Marcy finally storms in. But um, Marcy's got a few questions for Al. Now, about your demand to not talk during sex, the only reason we ask you to is so that we know when you're finished. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, 
You're a chicken. And if it's true we spend so little time in the kitchen, then how come you spend so much time in the bathroom? Because, because you're a chicken. Yes, yes. On to the tagline against our dear friend Chicken Legs, a.k.a. Marcy Rhodes Darcy. I believe her maiden name before Rhodes was never revealed on the show. Correct. And that's something I would ask Amanda Burse if I ever got to see her on a panel. You can ask her that, Annabelle, and I'm going to ask why she went with the Mork and Mindy haircut again this season. <laughs> so, like Mork's hair or like Mindy's hair? Had to ask. <laughs> Um, more. Uh, oh, I was about to say, oh, you're trolling me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> if I was trolling, you would have said, like, Murphs. <laughs> nano, nano. Nano, nano. Yes. Marcy goes on to mention that, um... We don't want to take over everything. We just want equality, fairness, to be appreciated. After all, you need us more than we need you. You're in no man's land now, baby. But she does admit that sometimes, um, yes, women do need men because... You need us jar-opening, oil-changing, spider-squishing, furniture-rearranging men a lot more than we need you. Yeah! All right, you have a point. There are some occasions when women do need men. Yes! Well, like tonight, for instance. I need some men, so I'm going to call them. Oh, gentlemen! You again, Bundy? Jefferson has managed to somehow get to the audience and change to a Yes Ma'am t-shirt. Oh, I love that. <laughs> He's got his backup plan set. <laughs> Because you'll see him in later episodes wearing a Yes Ma'am shirt underneath as well. And you can actually buy the Yes Ma'am shirts too. I've considered buying um, one of those, or possibly a Fang shirt, um, Feminist Against the Animal Guys. You'll hear more about that in season nine. No, later this season. Yeah. Yes. And we get to see Officer Dan again. Not quite a no ma'am, but... Uh... Hey, aren't you Jerry Springer, the masculine feminist? Yes, I am. Tie him back yeah. up. What the... <laughs> I hate that guy. Poor Jerry is still tied up. He won't let him be untied. <laughs> I mean, that's like, nobody needs to come out of this unscathed in this episode. I just, I love that. And by the way, I really want to find out if I can get a t-shirt t- maker to make me a reversible no ma'am, yes ma'am shirt. So I can literally just take it off, turn it inside out and put it back on and have it say yes or no, depending on what I want. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> it's a combination of no and yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> a lot of dad jokes on this episode today. And this is, as I mentioned earlier, the first time Officer Dan is credited as Officer Dan. You'll cut back to the Bundy house, which has, interestingly, the door left wide open for any Tom, Dick, or Harriet to walk in and basically, well, steal what's left behind. And you'll see a tumbleweed thrown into the living room. You may, if you look carefully, um, be able to see the stagehand throw it into the living room. So, because clearly the 
Kentucky Cat Family, which Buck hates that name, they've all gone. Yeah, I noticed a stagehand or somebody throwing the tumbleweed in because uh, it's not something I've noticed until fairly recently when I was watching the episode on a bigger screen. Now, it might just be because of the way Amazon Prime has it. Yeah, or DVD ratio is smaller, doesn't show it too clearly. But yeah, the aspect ratio, at least on Prime anyway, you can see the tumbleweed is at the side of the screen and yeah, someone throws it across it's adorable, and I want to believe when somebody was editing this uh, for, like, later release, they're like, hey, you know we can see that guy throwing it in there. Should we take it out? And they're like, guys, it's Married with Children. Absolutely not. Leave it in. <laughs> I, I just, it's it's adorable, and that's my Looney Tunes call of this episode, is the tumbleweed literally flying through. The open house. Yeah, like I want to, I really, really, really want to know the behind scenes of the network going, hey, they're shooting, uh, what is it, I, I don't know, they're shooting some Western movie over there. Go get uh, Richard. Richard, the tumbleweed guy? Why? Just go get him and tell him to bring a tumbleweed. And he's like, boss, you know this is the Marywood Children set, right? Yeah, I know. Throw it. It's your dime. All right. And he just throws it. I don't know, like, I really want to believe it was just, like, cobbled together like that. Like, get the tumbleweed guy, do it! Yeah, I, I, you're probably right. It's like, oh, we need someone to throw this. Okay, get the tumbleweed guy. Throw it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I want to let both of you know, and our listeners know, I have reached out to Officer Dan's Twitter page, hoping, hoping that I'll get a response, because I don't want, I don't believe many people keep badgering him for Officer Dan questions, but if I can score an interview with this guy, imagine the behind-the-scenes stories he might be able to tell. Oh, that'd be awesome. And Dan Tellus is a, is, a, is a very good singer, too. I uploaded a clip of him singing. You might have seen it. I posted it on YouTube, but he's singing Old Man River from Showboat. Yes, I saw and that. And it was from an Australian show, Tyler. Oh, hell yeah. That's why it's so good. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it's just people really do respond and i i think you can get uh famous people who and get to talk to them about the things that they're not quite famous for what they would think that they're quite famous for they're like really you want to know about officer dan he's probably used to talking about his singing career or something that he's more notable in i would be like no i want to know about officer dan because we all call you officer dan from first viewing but you don't even get credited until season eight which is a crime. Yeah. That's why I hope um, one day we we can get an interview like that or with Ed Bell, E.E. E. Bell, who plays Bob Rooney, because he too is a singer. And he has a song that he wrote and uploaded called The Ballad of No Man. And you're probably familiar with it. Oh, yeah. I was playing it before we watched this. <laughs> but yeah, I send, uh, I send Dan Tollins a uh, message day. Uh, no more. I don't want to sound like I'm badgering, but I'm not going to let up. Just like, hey, just another shout out that we, that me and Marywood Children fans love you, and the podcast would really love to hear from you. Hope you're doing well and being safe. Usually something like that. Wicked. Oh, I can't wait. One day you're going to get drunk and just respond and be like, all right, let's do it. There are a couple of crew members on Facebook. Uh, Jonathan Wolf, who does some music, he's commented on my page. I've noticed that um, director Jerry Cohen has been floating around. He's friends with David Faustino on Facebook. 
And there's a couple of other names, you know, Stephen Ritt, the dog trainer. So there's always people you can sort of reach out to. It's just a matter of um, who's going to read their messages, who's going to respond, who's going to want to do an interview in the first place. So there's a lot of people we could be approaching. I'm just, you just got to um, pick the right time and say the right things. And, and yeah, but maybe, yeah, I think we'll get lucky one day with something. Oh, yeah. Like, and David fought, and like, and to get like Ed O'Neill or or you know Katie Zagal or Faustino or Applegate to get one of them, the only way that's ever going to happen, they're not going to respond to any of us. And why should they? Now, if Jerry Cohen happens to be like, "Hey, Katie, these guys are kind of cool. You should check them out." Could you imagine yes. how tongue-tied we'd all be? If we had Katie, if we had Katie Seagal come on here, or anyone, or Christina Applegate, oh my God, oh, oh, I, I couldn't do it. Like I would just be there to listen. I don't. So know I love I you so like, much. Hi, hey, Christina. <laughs> that would be it. I had such, I had such a crush on you. Kind of still do. No. <laughs> oh. But yeah, like I'm just gushing over the thought. I think about these things all the time. Just like, oh my God, to have an interview with any one of them would just be I could die right then and there afterwards like I'd be done someone else could take up the podcast because I've done it now <laughs> we find out what our punishment is community service my eggs my eggs <laughs> above my legs <laughs> Another egg is thrown at the pilot. Again with these eggs. And it lands right on her, like splat. Perfect. <laughs> Something is for sale. <laughs> Again, what's up with these eggs? <laughs> Well, the second one, you can think, okay, Al might have guessed that something similar with that same woman might be back. He'll come armed this time. That first egg is a, is, is a mystery. Oh, Al secretly really wants eggs. Mm. Oh. Or maybe he has it in his pocket, so when he can just uh, use it as an example, you know, in back in season four, when he does the just say no thing, this is your brain. This is your brain. On marriage. <laughs> He's always got his prop with him. Good visuals. That yes. was always well prepared. And then the episode end, ends pretty much um, there with um, Al making the most of his community service. By the way, that bartender at the at the right at the end, he looks so familiar to me and I've been trying to place him ever since. The one thing about watching the show sort of years later at a time is you recognize more and more people who have since become famous for another role or or become Meghan Markle or whatever. But that bartender, I finally recognized him from Psych. Did you say become Meghan Markle? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, Yeah, you just become famous. You get into the newspaper. You become a princess. Like, <laughs> Yeah, for example, yes. <laughs> she became famous and all of a sudden everybody in the world knows who she is. I mean, yeah. But yeah, that bartender, I'm like... Oh, that guy looks so familiar. And I looked him up. He's in a thousand different shows, but I think I recognized him from Psych. And his name is Timothy Omanson. Yeah, Married with Children's big on that. Me and Steven have been noticing a lot of like, holy crap, it's that guy moments. Yes, I've noticed a few things too. Like um, when I got into The Good Doctor a couple of years back, I was like, oh, Hill Harper, he was in Married with Children. And it was he was yeah. in the episode where he Al Mark 2 and he's got his what his girlfriend Meg. <laughs> oh Meg. 
Yeah, the episode before this one, yeah. It just shows a different level of television show creation. Because I've noticed that with a lot of um, mainstream American television shows, they'll sacrifice talent for rec- for recognizability, if that makes sense. Yeah, character yeah. actors in the line. Exactly. And this show, I think, cares more about, let's get a really professional character actor that knows they can come in, read the script. They don't care what the episode is. They don't care what this show is. They're just like, okay, I'm a hillbilly. What kind of hillbilly? Am I a spitting hillbilly or am I a beer swilling hillbilly? Both? Okay, you got it. Give me three seconds. Done. Those they, they those people exist, and they're great at their craft, but they're not usually cast in mainstream network television shows because a lot of them don't either look good or they don't have a lot of cachet, even though they have all the talent. Yes, and, and another thing is um, a lot of people who do make it on TV tend to have um, little bit roles in various shows here and there. Christina Applegate did, Devil Faustino did, they were both on Family Times, they were both in commercials, uh, Ted McGinley, he we, we was in Happy Days, he was known for ruining a few shows, the whole Ted McGinley curse. They'll never let him forget it. <laughs> Dynasty, or as we say it, Dynasty. So here, down in Australia. Was Katie Seagal, I always forget with her career, was she super famous at that point? Uh, when Married to Children started, no, because uh, she, she was a singer, and uh, a background singer for a lot of famous people. Right before Married to Children, she was on a show with Mary Tyler Moore called Mary. That was only on for about 13 weeks. Mary is the show that Sharon Levitt, Ron Levitt's wife, saw her in and said, oh, she'd be great for Married to Children. But so she was not hugely famous, but she was getting there, if that makes sense. And interesting, if you watch Mary, it's a very hard show to find, but you see another actor from Married to Children on there in the form of Griff. So Peg knew Griff back before Married to Children really? started. Griff's on Mary? Yeah. It's got people like John Aston. He's Gomez Adams, for God's sake. I watched all of that uh, during like a feverish dream of a night. I was looking for everything Katie Seagal ever did, and I downloaded a, a thing of all of her... Uh, videos of her performing her singing and nestled inside of that audio file was two episodes of mary and i was like this is awesomely bad and i want more of it and i went searching for it but i couldn't find it but you're right it is a very hard show to find no ma'am we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast.com at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right, so, all right, Tyler, how many demands are you making to the angry woman in the masculine feminist audience? Tyler. Okay, so this is a tough episode because, like Annabelle said, it's a very um, tumultual time for Married with Children. This is a trademark of the show. If the show has a trademark, it would probably be the 
no ma'am symbol. So it's very hard to look at it objectively, but I tried very hard. So taking away all of the nostalgia that this uh, episode title carries with it, I'm going to have to give it a three at absolute best. Three demands. Maybe two and a half demands. No, I'm going to go with three demands. I'm going to go with three demands. The writing is very lazy. It's it's incredibly lazy, but I believe that's with design. Um, the 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 cast is worth two of the st- of the demands completely because, like I've said, I love all of these guest stars. Jerry Springer it was a real sport. He just had a lot of fun. Um, I love all of Al's uh, no man buddies, even the ones we never see again. Just a good crew of men doing a real K and Peel kind of sketch. And they all just had great chemistry with each other. Um, the cute costumes of their masks and just the way they didn't feel the need to shoo in other characters. Like Kelly and Buddy make an appearance, as they should, at the beginning and at the end. They're not shoehorned in like in previous episodes we've seen. And it it gets its point across. It doesn't try to shake up any boats or, I mean, you know, it doesn't try to rock the boats or shake up any trees or anything. And it uh, leaves you kind of not, maybe not hoping that you're going to see more No Ma'am, but okay when they pop back up. So, yeah, three demands. Oh, thank you for the number of demands you're going to make to these angry women. What about you, Anna? How many demands are you making to the angry women in the masculine feminist studio audience? I will also make three demands to the studio audience and for a lot of the same reasons that Tyler said I I get what you mean when you say the writing is lazy but still it's still the same sort of classic married with children that Al's still the loser at the end of the show I found it very interesting that as recently as last year Amanda Burse of all people said that this episode was one of her favorites and it's from a panel that she and Ted McGinley did at Niagara Falls and Comic-Con in, in 2019. And someone asked her, uh, asked them, what's her favorite episode? And she said, oh, I like the Jerry Springer one where I burst in and she gives out what for. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So her saying that has sort of made me look at the episode almost in a, not, not a new light, but sort of a slightly more appreciation, I guess, because if she liked it, that's cool with me too. But in the episode, I think it's the the little things throughout the episode that really make it work when it does work. I mean, watching it again, you sort of watch, uh, I've been spotting sort of little things like, uh, it's not just the tumbleweed being thrown in by a stagehand, but uh, at the end of Act 1, when the screen fades into commercial, they're looking at the lady on stage, Jefferson sort of waves his dollar at her as if to sort of hopefully like, you know, you want this dollar, I can tip you, you're going to work for it kind of thing. Uh, Just little things like that. And Jerry Springer is... Um, very much in on the joke, which I hugely appreciate. He's not there to be sort of gushed over like a special guest star. He's in on the joke and he's allowing himself to be made fun of as well and made fun of his show. But yes, he's, he's written differently and it's very weird, especially if you're familiar with his show. To someone like me who's seen some of Jerry Springer, but he's, on, he's a guest star on a TV show that I like, that's cool, that's fine. He's in on the joke and he's having fun, clearly. It's iconic, and I understand that, and I like the actors, as I've said. But yeah, I say three out of five is being fair. Yeah. Thank you for Anna, 
as for myself, well, I'm going to go a bit against the grain here and uh, with um, Amanda Marcy Darcy Burst here. For me, this is one of my all-time favourite episodes of um, Season 8. And dare I say it, I'm going to give five out of five demands to the um, angry women in the UCDO audience. Why, you may ask? Yes, a big, big call, I know, but why, you may ask? Well, part of, a lot of it for me is sort of the landmark episode because this, this is the start of the No Man era, which really helped keep the show going throughout seasons 9, season 10, even season 11. Uh, just the whole the way they capture up Jerry Springer, having, because I, I watched a little bit of Jerry Springer when I was young, when I was allowed to sneak, so when I snuck a bit of Jerry Springer, because my mum hated watching it when I was 12, 13. Uh, my mum was fairly strict growing up. Uh, obviously, Dan's coming to the Waters element. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just some of the jokes could have been a little better. Like obviously, when Al says you're a chicken twice, but for me, it just it's really all all firing um, you know, start to finish for me. Uh, had a relegated to the bowling in the garage, dodge clearly in background. Al won't let them sit on it. Uh, the disappointments at the nudie bar. I mean, coffee house. My eggs, my eggs. So for me, um, a big part of the reason why I give a high praise is um, not just the episode itself, but also its significance and how um, it could have easily just made No Man one-off and not had a whole other No Man episodes. This could have been just a one-off and it would, the whole group is never mentioned again. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm glad that it wasn't a uh, all three of us were given it three because, like, I think if you had asked me this two years ago when I first watched it, I probably would have given it a five out of five. But after rewatching the show and, you know, recording and doing these episodes and checking it out with a lens, like, can I do this with Married with Children podcast goggles on and take the nostalgia content away? And I, when I did that and looked at it as a standalone, I saw a lot of the, unless I know for a fact they were trying to do something subversive, and it just was a happy accident. It, it's really hard to give it enough praise. So, but uh, I, but I see where you're coming from, Matt, and that's almost enough to make me want to push it to a four. But I'm gonna keep mine to a three. Well, I, I love hearing your thoughts, um, Tyler and Anna. Uh, yes, and I'm, uh, to add to a little bit to my score, I'm, I'm sure a little bit of nostalgia is playing for me too with the whole how I used to wear the shirt to school and um, I actually ended up rebuying the shirt because um, the first one had one too many goes in the washing machine. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you got to bring those out. It's like a classic car. you got to keep that thing up in plastic and only break it out for, you know, a church or a funeral or a wedding. But speaking of funerals, when my day does come, um, I'll probably have a no man shirt laid out. There'll be a no man shirt and a full English breakfast. <laughs> or if you're looking for a funeral song to compliment your shirt, there's this, written and performed by Bob Rudy himself, E.E. E. Bell. Since no man, 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 no man
comes a time in each man's life when he ought to say, No ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am. There comes a time in each man's life when he's got to say, No ma'am. Temptations there were many, her eyes, her lips, her nose. Her pleasures beckoned unto him, that's nature, I suppose. But Eden turned to Hades when she gave the sucker punch. He should have asked for something else, but he said, what's for lunch? No man, no man, no man. There comes a time in each man's life when he ought to say no man, no man, no man. There comes a time in each man's life when he's got to say no man. There was a man named Bundy, scored four touchdowns in one game. Polk High School was his Eden until the prom night came. She was pegged from Wanker County. She's Mrs. Bundy now. Cause Al forgot once you get the milk, you don't still need the cow. No man, no man. There comes a time in each man's life when he ought to say no man. When he's got to say no man, no man, no man, no man, no man. All right, I said I was going and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face. I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. It's Al. I'm here at Lake Chickamacomico. While everyone's arguing over politics, I'm kicking back and I'm escaping with Married with Children and its podcast. Glad to still be a part of it through all this craziness. And how weird that the president is having a press conference in this episode. How are we reviewing that one on November 4th? How crazy is that? Nothing weird about that timing, huh? Jerry Springer is a politically correct total pansy in this episode. He did a great job. Uh, always fun when you get to this episode. This iconic episode. I mean, God, no ma'am. If you don't own a no ma'am shirt, something is, uh, you know, you have to reevaluate your life. <laughs> like, that is something you should own. Everyone should have a no ma'am shirt. Come on. It's like 12 bucks on Amazon or eBay or whatever. I, I know I paid 12 bucks for mine, so. I noticed this episode was directed much differently than it normally is. A lot more close-ups while people were on the couch. That's always uh, fun and interesting to see. Tony Singletary must be a fan of that. He was the one who directed this one. You know, it's not always Jerry Cohen anymore, so things are changing on the Marrow Children uh, show at this point. 
I like Al. You know, Al always has that uh, burgundy bowling shirt. Now it's like the bright teal, bluish, greenish. Uh, what's odd, though, is that when the guys were bowling in the garage, Al's bowling shirt is different than what he wore last week when it was all ripped up by the women in the bowling alley. So how would he have matched his team he's on? Does the team have, like, a uniform variation? I doubt that. They went to the nudie bar, which is always special on our podcast, since we do the show from there. Thank God uh, that whole reading poems like My Eggs, My Eggs, uh, that was all over with by the time we got here. So uh, that's a good thing. It was back to hot chicks. And a little bit of Married with Children podcast trivia. The two girls in our banner, which is still up even though myself, Dan, and Jamie don't really uh, host the show anymore... But in that banner, the original podcast banner, the two girls in the nudie bar, I don't know if I ever uh, said it out loud, one is Hayden Penetier, that was JP's choice to have in there, and the other one is Abella Anderson, who was my choice. I, uh, don't look her up. They hijack the Jerry Springer show. Al lets the women know it's the fat that makes them look fat. It was, I was so happy uh, to see Barney show up, the guy from Friday the 13th Part 3. He's looking a lot older than he did in Season uh, 1 and 2, but uh, yeah, Barney's awesome. Kelly spelled cat with a K, uh, very reminiscent of when, remember she kept writing on the big uh, paper uh, as Al was like reminiscing about her growing up and it was always K-A-T. She just wrote it straighter or a lowercase or uppercase, but the actual letters never changed as she got older. I think that's the episode where she moved out of the house. They went to Club Squish to get Bubbles Double D. Thanks for getting her out. All the guys really appreciated that, especially when she jumped around four or five times. Oh, yeah? Well, well, you're a chicken. <laughs> Him saying that is so funny. And the way he delivers it exactly the same twice, that was just perfect. It all, you know, Marcy does an amazing job in there too when she hits the stage. That was all great. Loved the way she delivered everything. Love how the cops came in. I love how Jefferson had a shirt that said, yes, ma'am. And he makes believe he just came like running in. And the way Marcy like smirks and like looks at him from the side and she's looking at his shirt because she knows everything he's trying to pull off, but it's not working. It is just greatness. This episode, I mean, what is there to really complain about? Um, This changed the landscape of Married with Children. A lot of people really just know no ma'am. You know, the casual Married with Children fan, all they know about, they'll just say like four touchdowns, no ma'am, shoe store. You know, that's right there. This is huge. Uh, It's a landmark episode. I remember Jerry and JP always wanted the episodes that, like, moved things along or, you know, uh, changed the landscape of the show or something. They were always looking for those big moments. Well, this is it. So by that logic, I guess this gets a five. Five out of five. That's Al, folks. Yeah, so um, that concludes our review of Season 8, Episode 9, No Man. Tune in next week for Season 8, Episode 10, where we'll be moving on up and dancing with Wheezy. Al bribes Kelly and Bud into posing as him and Jefferson to accompany Peg and Marcy at the Jefferson's Moving On Up Tour Live while they go to a newly owned sports bar.